Noir has been one of the most celebrated and critically praised genres of film since it was first introduced to American audiences in the 1940s. Going back to classics like The Maltese Falcon and The Stranger, all the way up to more current day with movies like Body Heat, Memento, and Kiss Kiss Bang Bang, film noir has continued to attract filmmakers with its stylish photography, suspenseful storytelling, and for its compelling and oftentimes fatally flawed characters. On this week's podcast, Swain and I sat down and discussed film noir full chest. We cover its roots in German expressionism, key elements of the genre, such as the look, the sound, the melodrama and eroticism, and of course, we reference tons of movies along the way. Out of the Past, The Man Who Knew Too Much, Touch of Evil, Clute, Miller's Crossing, The Grifters, Bound, Nightcrawler, and many more. And we also ask a question, is film noir a genre or is it an era? I'm Adrian Johnson. Thanks for listening to Swain and I as we break down a genre of film once described as suffering with style. And that genre is film noir. American movies, but then you have American directors who would see like German expressionism and put that in. And then you had like the Italians after World War II, mm-hmm. they make their movies, the neorealism stuff, and they see that. Mm-hmm. You have Kurosawa, he, he even dips his toe into um, noir as well, you know, with uh, Straight Out, you know, a detective movie. Right, right, right. About yeah. the uh, the cop who's uh, who loses his detective. Gun. Yeah, yeah, he loses his gun and yeah. And, and the thing about those is, is that they delve into that and like the neorealism stuff from Italy after World War II. Mm-hmm. The settings there are very much like, man, we're we're a war torn country, literally. So it's almost in those instances part documentary, part noir, and it's set against this background that's just. Basically ready because of the war. You know what I'm saying? Bombed mm-hmm. out buildings. Um and you see you're talking about straight dog? Yeah. Okay. Yeah, and and um the the Italian movies too. Okay. You know, and even um the third man, you know, with Vienna, mm-hmm. you know, it's still dealing with, you know, that city being occupied by, you know, the Allied forces. Mm-hmm. And you can't go here, you have to go here, you can't do this and that, you know. So that that really plays into that kind of um, paranoia of um the noir as well as it was being formed, you know? Yeah. And that's something that, like in my, in my research uh, that I was picking up as far as film noir, like you're saying, a lot of the, the visual roots coming from German expressionist cinema mm-hmm. um, and, you know, that stuff being in like the 1910s and 20s. That's right. And then by the time it gets to American audiences, we're talking about really the early 40s. Well, maybe a little bit before that, because uh, a couple of those directors like escaped um, Nazi Germany, like Fritz Lang, who did like M yeah. in 31, um, Metropolis. Metropolis. Yeah. So he he's coming over here and starting to do Hollywood films as well. But that all that stuff was in, like all the German, like like M and uh, the Cabinet, Dr. Caligari, uh, the Golem, those were all German films, correct? Yes, exactly. But you're but, saying Lang eventually came to the States. Yeah, and, and M was imported over here. Okay. You know what I'm saying? Um, so American directors would see that, certain films, you know, that German films, you mm-hmm. know what I'm saying? And once he came over here and started directing, you know, you do have American directors seeing that stuff, and it really doesn't get crystallized to me until Orson Welles was Citizen Kane. And he kind of takes that 
and he has like four films that he make. We're getting too deep in this. I'm sorry. No, no, no. No, that's fine. That's fine. And even though The Maltese Falcon is con- is considered the first kind of mainstream American noir, yeah. you're saying that it was actually fine-tuned and 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 and, and crystallized in the four films, uh, Touch well, well, of Evil, uh, Touch The of Stranger, evil. Stranger, Out of the Past. Uh, well, that's not Wells. That's not Wells. Out of the Past. That's one of them. That's one of them. Yeah, okay. yeah. And what are the other two Wells films? Uh, obviously, Citizen Kane and... Um, and, and, a, and a smaller one that nobody ever really notices uh, called Journey into Fear. Okay. Wells, has a, he directs it, but he has a very small part in it. Mm-hmm. He's under makeup, too, so you won't know it's him unless you know. Oh, yeah, that Russian general right there, that's Orson Welles. Okay. You know what I'm saying? Okay. But, but it has his usual cast, Joseph Cotton, Agnes Moorhead, you know, mm-hmm. stuff like that. But... You also see the roots of it too is in some of the um, Hollywood movies of the late '30s. Some of the lighting and stuff. That's another thing with film noir. It's psychological, but it also deals with like the way lighting makes the like, the psychological and the fear and the paranoia and mm-hmm. the mystery come about. Mm-hmm. You know what I'm saying? Um, so that that's something else to consider. And you had American directors, you know, leaning that way, and cinematographers, mm-hmm. you know, leaning that way as well. And also, too, like odd framing. Yeah. You know, using the framing in a, in, a, in a weird way, like tilting, tilted the, frame. tilting yep. the camera, and 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 using leading lines. You know. Yes. Uh, uh, yeah, all of that stuff. And I didn't realize too, like as far as uh, ex- whatever, um, as far as German expressionism goes. Mm-hmm. You know, it was in all of the art forms. It was in paintings and in yeah. poetry and writing, and then also in cinema. Yeah. And that it was its goal was, again, we were talking about historical perspectives early, uh, before we started recording. Um, Germany was there was an anti-German s- sentiment in Western Europe after the First World War. Yeah. So, foreign films were banned, and so. Uh, Germany went from making like 20, a couple dozen, you know, films a year to over a hundred mm. because that's all they had. Yeah. You know, they used, so that's how the, that, that expressionism got into cinema. And, um, and it's just funny how like, um, you know, how I always say that, you know, uh, new ground is always, uh, new soil is always turned and, um, Innovation always comes about when you have an underground. Yes. That's when mm-hmm. you have innovation. You Absolutely. Know? So the idea that they're isolated and that there's nothing coming in. So, you know, now there's just a feeding ground. And then all of a sudden, you know, like you're saying, American filmmakers in the 30s, you know, start seeing these movies and then they start incorporating, you know, the look and the feel and, and the sound. Yeah. You know, uh, into their films. And then all of a sudden we get and then you marry that with. um you know, like as far as American film noir, um, a lot of it has to deal with like, you know, dime novel detectives and, yeah. you know, which was a big thing coming out of the Depression. Crime like fiction. Pulp. Yeah. yeah, Pulp Mag, Black Mask, yeah. you know. Uh, 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 um, our, our, I think Argosy. Yeah, magazine. As like another that. magazine. Yeah. yeah. And so, you know, they marry that with, you know, th- you know, this look and this feel. And the idea that ex- in, in expressionism, too, is, is you know, it's... Um, they're not trying to replicate real life. It's, That's right. It's more of a heightened version, and it's supposed to speak to you know the mind and the inner life and the inner tur- turmoil, as opposed to being 
completely real. Like, oh, just cowboy shoots the Indian, and then we're going to take the river, and then, you know, all that's just, you know, typical adventure stuff or whatever. No, this is like, okay, like you're saying, uh, paranoia and madness and, you know, all this kind of stuff. And that's know? what makes the genre so interesting, especially like those older movies. And I know that there are contemporary versions of noir as well, of course, but right. there's something about those black and white noirs from you know the 40s and the 50s but particularly post-world war ii they they just have such a striking look and just so 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 good man yeah you know what i'm saying yeah yeah and you had me obviously we're going to talk about film noir in the episode but um you had me uh, uh or you recommended a few to, to watch and the only one i was ever able to uh to take in was the stranger which i'd never seen before oh that's that's a that's a good one that's a good old good one man i love that I it, love re- the it really was it really was i mean even forgiving like i said some of the, the story beats where i was just like okay really <laughs> but you know the look and the lighting uh you know the camera uh choice the you know the the camera movements and um and some of the shots that, that wells chose and um and you know like uh even like, you know, the idea, okay, the stranger, okay, mm-hmm. so is Orson Welles' character um, as, you know, Fritz Lang, or Fritz Kindler, excuse me, Franz yes. Kindler, Franz, Franz Kindler. Kindler, yes. Franz Kindler, he's in hiding. Is he the stranger? Mm. Is his subordinate from, from the Nazis, you know, that came to town, is he the stranger? Mm-hmm. Is Edward G. Robinson so, the, stranger? the stranger? Right. You know, who's the stranger, you know, in this... Uh, in this story. And oddly enough, you know, you have Edward G. Robinson, who's, he may have been the only Jew in the film, but, you know, he's he's the Nazi hunter, you know. Yes. You know. And I kept thinking, well, why, you know, what, how did they find this guy, whatever. And then he's, you know, Robinson's character says later on, it, right. they let him go in hopes that he would lead them to Franz Kindler, Franz Kindler, because Kindler had, you know, never taken pictures, he, you know, they didn't have any. They destroyed any, all the records. Yeah, they, they yeah. just knew that he had escaped to America. And they figured that that's where he would go. He would be somehow be in communication with with uh, with Kindler. Yes. And if we followed him, you know, we'll we'll get there. So uh, yeah, I enjoyed it. I enjoyed it immensely. Um, oh yeah. Yeah, it was that's a really good 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 one. Um, let me ask you this: as it relates to the genre, um, mm-hmm. and uh, I don't know if you're familiar with uh, Eddie Muller. Eddie Muller, yeah, the writer mm-hmm. and historian. Yeah, 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 he's on TCM all the time. Right, right. He does Noir Alley on, uh, yes. on TCM. Oh yeah, and he refers to film noir as suffering with style, <laughs> which yeah. I think is a cool, That's good. Uh, yeah. a cool description of it. <laughs> but when you think of like American film noir specifically, and we're going to talk about some, like you said, some some films from Europe as well. Um, what are some of the? Because I broke down different sections. Mm. You know. What do the characters look like? Um, what are their motivations is a different kind of a thing. Yeah. And then also uh, how they accomplish it. And then also the look and the feel of noir. But for you, what are the characters in film noir hmm. look like? How do they, how do they, you know, how do they, how do they sound? How do they, what are they, what are, what kind of characters are they? Desperate. Desperation, mm-hmm. you know, it should always feel like, you know, the character is desperate to get either, you know, um, money, uh, some type of the last bit of, you know, glory, whatever mm-hmm. that may be, mm-hmm. you know, um, unrequited love, just desperation. 
you know, or you're trying to come back to, again, this is post-World War II, where you had this proliferation of film noir, you know, big, you know, a lot of it. And you got these troops coming back to, man, what do I do now? You know, we just finished saving the world pretty much. Basically, yeah. But what now? So, you know, it's almost like this um, this thing of, okay, so I aimless almost. And you're trying to find out, well, what do I do now? And that desperation may lead you to other avenues to accomplish what you're looking for. Mm-hmm. So often the characters are going to be, you know, just um, down in their luck which makes them instantly relatable. Right. You know, it like throws you into it as a viewer. You're just like, oh man. Yeah. Man, I hope he or she gets what they're looking for, but primarily it's usually a male, you know, and they enter this world of uh, confusion or enter this world of danger and it's sucking them in. Right. You know, they're, they, they're trying to, it's exorable. They're trying to, but you, but they can't. They right. can't resist it. They they have to do it. Like based on the story that's being told, they have to. And that's kind of that was what I was thinking too. Was it's like all the protagonists, uh, male and female, but mostly male, like you said, they're kind of doomed from the get go. Yeah, you know, you get a, that sense of dread about them. Um, sometimes they're ordinary people who are lured into committing a crime. Uh, someone who's wrongly accused, mm-hmm. so they're desperate to get their freedom and their 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 good name back. Uh, definitely in, like in dire circumstances, um, and then the, the 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 specifics of the characters themselves are always like people who are living on the fringes of society. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So you've got like these kind of two bit detectives and private investigators. You've got uh, you know cab drivers. Uh, you've got um, ex cons and ex cops. Yeah, it's like a whole underclass, if mm-hmm. you will. Mm-hmm. And they exist on that particular strata. Because mm-hmm. another thing we notice in film noirs is that as the character is navigating this particular underworld, if you will, mm-hmm. you know, they're familiar with others. You know, like, oh, so and so, man, that, that Palooka right there, he throws every match. You know what I'm saying? Right. That type of thing. Or Man, Jody over there at such and such bar, you know, she she serves up a, a mean titty twister, you know, whatever. Right. You know? <laughs> like, like they're familiar with the other characters that are in that same strata. Right. Yeah. So there's right. like a whole underworld. Yeah. It's like, uh, you know, as Pulp Fiction is yeah. uh, noir adjacent, um, you know, like, OK, when 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 uh, when Vincent goes to see Lance and he says, you know who my boss is? Marcellus Wallace. That's all you had to say. Right. I got to help him. That's all you yes. got to say. If he finds out that his wife died on your shitty carpet, guess what? He's not going to be happy with you, and he's not going to be happy with me. Mm-hmm. So, uh, yeah. So, yeah, exactly. And there's a lot of that, too, in uh, in John Wick, where you know it's just this whole under underworld and a system and a system of communication and payment. In all of it, and it all exists again, you know, in this kind of behind this kind of veil in in you know normal quote normal society. I'm using my quote fingers, <laughs> uh, normal society. But um, and then also too like grifters, yeah, con artists, um, gangsters, girlfriends who are you know trying to make a take a you know get a shot at you know stealing some money and yeah, getting malls. away from yeah, yeah the malls you yeah. know <laughs> uh what's uh Marlene D- Marlena Dietrich you, yeah. know, you know she's played the femme fatale mm-hmm. you know she's played that character uh quite a bit and like the boxers yeah you know boxers like who you know who are who are down and out 
And the motivations are usually like, you say greed and blackmail, um, not blackmail, excuse me, but uh, greed, um, some dark secret past, like in Chinatown, mm. you know, um, and I wrote down like the desire to get something that was taken from them to get it back. That's right. And even redemption, mm-hmm. although it's always too late. Yeah. Again, they're doomed from the beginning. You know it. And it's always, you know, it's always too late. But <clears throat> um, some of the early films, uh, you mentioned uh, quite a few. The Third the third Man. Yes. Um, Gun Crazy, which I'd never heard of. Yeah. Yeah. That's a little known when I saw it on TCM, hosted okay. by Eddie Muller. What are some others from that that early classic quote classic period? Uh, Out of the past, uh, DOA, uh, Nightmare Alley, which is being remade by Guillermo del Toro. It's out now. It's on HBO Max. Yeah, I saw that. I yeah. saw that in the little um, yeah. thing. Kate Blanchett and uh, Bradley Cooper. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And the original um, had uh, Tyrone Power and Joan Blondell. Okay. And uh, I saw that about three years ago. I had never heard of it before then. Mm-hmm. And I was like, man, this is this is pretty good. You know, it okay. really sucked me in. I was like, this is great. Um, there are some other ones, like from the late 40s going into the early 50s, there's a pickup on South Street, uh, Detective Story with uh, Kirk Douglas. Okay. Um, and there's also another one, um, not Fear of the Night, Night in the City, something like that, The Naked City. I think it's Naked City. Naked Just City, naked that's what city, I'm thinking yeah. of. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, um, yeah that one, uh, uh, there's, 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 there's tons. Like, they're all flooding in on me. Mm-hmm. I actually, um, there's one by a director, um, Samuel Fuller. He did three that I really like. They're kind of noir adjacent. Mm-hmm. Um, Pick Up on South Street is one of them. Mm-hmm. There's a noir western that he did, believe it or not, called I Shot Jesse James. And wow. Yeah. <laughs> and, and when you look at it, you're like, yeah, that's that's noir. I mean, just the shadows and everything. You're like, mm-hmm. this is a Western, but it doesn't feel it feels more psychological than the Westerns that were coming out at that time. Right. You know what I'm saying? Um, there's another one called The Baron of Arizona, you know, which is also wow. good. I've never heard of that one. Yes. Those I, I, I those are deep cuts. I recommend those. Um, okay. I'm a big Samuel Fuller fan. Okay. Huge, huge. Okay. And and the thing about that is, is that with the Baron of Arizona, one of the cinematographers who's, you know, um, key during this period is James Wong Howe, mm-hmm. uh, Asian American cinematographer. Mm-hmm. You look him up, and you will find a whole list of noir movies under his watch. Mm-hmm. He's very key in setting that type of look in mm. cinematography, especially for black and white cinematography. Okay. Yeah, for sure. There's another one, uh, much, much later on, uh, who uh, cinematographer on uh, Devil in a Blue Dress, Tak Fujimoto, I think's his name. Oh, okay. I think that's his name. Mm-hmm. Um, and um, and he did a great job on that as well. But I had never heard of uh, of James Wong Hao, you said? Yes. Okay. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, yeah, I remember, and I've said this before on the show, that... Uh, you know, when I would go sh- back and forth to Chicago to visit my father when my father and mother split, yeah. you know, I'd spend summers there and I'd watch a lot of TV, a lot of reruns, a lot of black and white movies. 
And my grandmother, who whom we called Nona, mm-hmm. um, you know, she would always say, "Are you in here watching these old movies again? <laughs> All you want to do is watch these old movies." And I'd yeah. be like, "Yep." But I remember watching like um, The Big Sleep and Maltese Maltese Falcon and um, To Have and To Have Not and, you know, those Bogart and and Bacall movies and definitely being aware of, you know, the the hard-boiled detective thing. Mm. And, and, And funny enough is, is at the time, and this is in the 1970s, let's say. At the time, you know, that kind of uh, detective had been parodied to death on variety shows and in other films. Mm-hmm. It was already like kind of a, you know, kind of a joke that people would make, you know, is, you know, trench coat and somebody would come in doing a, a Bogart imitation. Yeah, old gumshoe. Yeah, 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 exactly. You know, they were already doing that. But I was aware of it from a more, you know, I, I took it in as, as more serious, you know, because, you know, I didn't care. You know, like you said, you're watching a movie and you just get, you get caught Sucked up. In, yeah. And uh, and so it was after that, and then I got you know interested in comics, and or I was already interested in comics, but really started getting knee deep interested. And then probably when I was a teenager, is at some it was around the time that I saw uh, Stranko's Chandler. Ah, uh, okay. And I was yeah. like, oh, he's doing that. Oh, okay. Mm-hmm. Um, <clears throat> and then you know, of course, seeing other films, you know, that came around later in the '60s and '70s, you know, Point Blank. Mm. Um. I never saw the, the last goodbye. Uh, uh, the long goodbye. Long goodbye. Long goodbye with uh, Elliot. Uh, Elliot Gould. Elliot Gould. Yeah. Um, but yeah, just like just in terms of my connection with the genre. When were you as a kid? When did you become aware of the genre in a serious way, not like in a funny ha ha? I'm doing a Bogart imitation way in a serious way. I would probably say when I was a teenager, like yourself, and it was probably in my late teens. Once I started becoming very very interested in movies. Mm-hmm. You know, and started realizing, you know, who the different directors and, you know, cast and all of that were. You know what I'm saying? Um, but, yeah, it was in my late teens. And, you know, and the thing is as well is, you know, that went hand in hand, again, like yourself, with, you know, uh, comics. Especially once you start getting into, like, Frank Miller. Then you work your way back to Will Eisner. Mm. And you just mm. start seeing, mm. like, yeah. wow, okay, there's something going on here. And on that comics tip, there are comic creators of that time, golden age comic creators, who mention like, you know, the whole look of film noir, they would kind of take influence from that. Oh, you yeah. Know? Like stuff of like, you know, Citizen Kane. Oh, there are so many golden age artists who mention, man, once I saw Citizen Kane, you know, I've tried to put that same type of lighting in my work. And, mm-hmm. you know, and that's why, you know, those golden age comics have that particular type of. It's not quite chiascaro, but there is certain lighting and spotting of blacks that you find in there that you can easily extrapolate back to, you know, a film noir mm-hmm. movie. You know what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. But for me, it was the culmination of all of that, you know, in my late teens. And that began me starting to kind of research and say, ah, okay, well, well what's going on here? Mm-hmm. You know, and that's when I did learn about other directors like, you know, Samuel Fuller. Uh, I started getting deep into Orson Welles, mm-hmm. you know. That was around the same time I really started appreciating Citizen Kane. And um, I got into The Third Man a little bit later, you know. And I was like, oh, okay. Now, do you consider uh, at this point, because like you mentioned Wells is kind of like the, maybe the progenitor of 
of the uh, a film noir in a you know for American film. You know, the person who really did it well, the Frank Miller mm. of film at that time was like, oh wow, he really did it well. Yeah. What What about some of? Do you consider any of Alfred Hitchcock's films to kind of fall in that, like Dial In for Murder? Or, sure. Uh, uh, Saboteur. Um, the Man Who Knew Too Much. Kind of, kind of, yeah, yeah. But I, you know, I was thinking about that um, earlier, and just trying to think of like, did he have any kind of like black and white movies in that direct post World War II, you know, period mm-hmm. that he directed that could be considered noir? Um, and I was trying to think, and I couldn't think of one except for like Saboteur, but that was actually during the war. That was in like '43 or whatever, mm-hmm. you know. And then after World War II. Mm-mm. Yeah, I don't think I can think of it's like rope, and that was in '48, and that was in color, mm-hmm. and that was supposedly in one room. But <laughs> why you, well, now I use your quote thing, Joe? <laughs> because you know, you know, he cheated. Like he would do stuff like, "Oh, this is all one shot." Right, Alfred. Okay, <laughs> so you gonna pan forward into someone's chest, get dark, and then ah, it's still the same shot. No, it's not. Right, you cut it. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> that's your that's your cue to cut. Yeah, but but yeah, but you would think that somebody like Alfred Hitchcock, who is known for doing like these mysteries and you know having suspenseful stories and yeah, you stuff know. that's tailor made for like film noir, he would be considered one of the practitioners of it. But in my mind, not really. Not really. Yeah. Most of the scholars don't consider him mm-hmm. to be like you, like you said, to fall squarely in that particular genre. Mm-hmm. You know, certainly like mysteries and and thrillers and you know um, that sort of thing, but not necessarily noir as a uh, as a you know as a as a genre or as a texture. But you know what it is though. A lot of those film noirs, especially after World War II, you know, they they were considered cheapies. You know, unless oh, yeah. they were done like a at a Hollywood studio, yeah. a major Hollywood studio, you look up some of the ones like Gun Crazy, um, and even certain ones like Nightmare Alley. Like that stuff is like something studios would say, "I just just go ahead and do it. Right, take two weeks to film it, get it done, and let's go. <clears throat> right, let's put it out. Or even like horror, yeah, you know, horror themed. You know, would be the same thing. It have noir aspects to it, but it's it's considered like a B or C level movie. It's like junk. You know, mm-hmm. Junked. Uh, as a matter of fact, I think the early noirs were really considered melodramas before they actually adopted the term noir. I think it was a French critic who came up with the term film noir. Mm. But they were just melodramas. You know, it's just you know very heightened. Yeah. What are you talking about? I don't know. We've got to go, darling. How come with you? You know, just and then the, the lighting and then the the swelling of the music. The music. Oh goodness, yes. That's a, actually a good, a good place to talk about the look. And the sound uh, and the feel of noirs. Um, when you think about noirs, like what what do they have to have in terms mm. of the look and uh, and in terms of the feel of, uh, of of a noir? I'm closing my eyes right now, and I can just see a typical noir scene that I would think would have everything that would be in there. You know, some type of low trumpet or saxophone. You know, playing in the background or whatnot. Um, the lighting is very directional, you know. Um, Miller did it to a great extent, you know, popularized it, you know, coming through Venetian blinds. Right. But they were already doing that. Right. You know, it's always perpetual night, perpetual darkness. Right. You know what I'm saying? It's, if you see daytime during the noir, it's kind of like 
Nah, no, you don't turn the lights on. You don't turn the lights on. Well, anymore. yeah, it's that whole thing of <laughs> nothing good happens after midnight or whatever, and and definitely that's when all the activity in the noirs, like, you know, all of the devious acts, are, you know, and, and 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 all the conniving and all the unsavory activity happens, mm-hmm. you know, under cover of the night for sure. Exactly, exactly, and you know, just the the perpetual darkness, the lighting, um, just. People just kind of just just you know slumped or slouching you know wet night very mm-hmm. much a downtrodden type feel, mm-hmm. which makes it relatable like I mentioned you know, and the shadows the shadows yeah that yeah. that lush photography oh yeah. man yeah yes like you know when they when they photograph it, I'm talking about black and white cinematography here mm-hmm. when they photograph the women even though they're malls or wet night they still have that. That kind of that fuzzy glow, angelic glow filter yeah. around. Yeah, yeah. I love that. Yeah. Are you kidding me? And yeah. then, like in some of the more cheapy, you know, type of noirs, they do close-ups of the men, and they're all sweaty, and the light is like right there in their face. Harsh. Yeah. Yeah. Exact harsh lighting. Thank you. Mm-hmm. And it's just like that type of stuff. I just really, really, really respond to. Yeah. And just, oh what, man. What about uh like uh. In noir is like as far as the look, people are always like smoking and drinking and looking. Oh yeah, and looking cool. Mm-hmm. Um, characters dressed to the nines in suits and hats, with you know long raincoats or long coats. Um, just you know, I guess in you know coming from a time where you know people you know presented themselves as 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 you know. You don't want to be just, you know, distinguished and very smartly dressed all the time, you know. So, you know, men would wear suits. You know, like we see, like you mentioned Will Eisner, you see those old photographs of him, <laughs> him inking with a white shirt and a tie on. And yeah. Like, like, who's what? Who's doing that? <laughs> you know? But, you know, they would go into an office and to be to be treated like someone that, you know, deserved respect in, in whatever someone's time, you had to come dressed. Mm-hmm. You just couldn't come up there in like you know your dungarees and your you know your your you know t-shirt or whatever. And that was considered like if you did, you were considered like like a kid. Like right. that would be stuff kids would have worn. Right. Yeah. Right. So I mean, it was very very necessary that you know that you present yourself well. Mm-hmm. And uh, and you know a lot of my favorite you know noirs you know they you know just the tailored suits of the women and the men as everybody's just. You know, just dress, dress, you know, super nicely. Yeah. But also, like, in terms of the feel, I was thinking about, because I thought about this quite a bit before we were going to talk. Um, they're usually flashbacks or mm-hmm. shifts in time. Yeah. You know, uh, a lot of times the movie will start with the ending mm. and then take you into, you know, the story, you know. And, and again, there may be shifts. Um, seems like all classic noirs have some kind of voiceover. Oh yeah, not so much in the '40s, but definitely like when you get into like the '60s and the '70s and later on. Well, well, um, as far as like voiceovers in like the '40s, think about something like *Dark Passage* with Humphrey Bogart. Oh, we don't that. see his face. I love that movie, and we see it from his point of view, which is but so he's supposed unique. to be speaking though. He's not yeah, narrating. Yeah. He's supposed to be speaking though. Yeah, but well, you're right. You're right. Yeah, yeah you're right. Yeah, it's just like. POV, yeah. you know, the whole first 20 minutes, 15 minutes of the movie is POV, where you see him doing things, but it's almost like a first-person shooter kind of a perspective. Yeah, it is. You see his fist. <laughs> <laughs> but I love that movie, man. Yes. I really love that movie, and I hadn't thought about that one in, in, a, in a good long while, but uh, definitely like voiceovers. There's usually a big reveal mm-hmm. of some kind, 
Um, like in Chinatown, the big oh, reveal in yeah. that. Um, and then suspense, and like you said, like a tense, taut score with uh, sometimes like with a low end piano. Yeah. Or, you know, like, you know, the soaring or orchestral movements, you know, to kind of, you know, buttress the scene. Yeah. Definitely all of that stuff. Um, <laughs> or speaking to that, when somebody's getting choked out or getting killed, the whole orchestra will swell and do every choke. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, yo. You're right. <laughs> oh um, boy. That's that's so that is so correct. And and maybe that's like even like in I guess maybe that that could have not started but was certainly popularized in Psycho. You know, Jen, Jen, you know, the stabbing, you know, yeah, yeah, you see the knife, and it's yeah. like, okay, so now whenever I, you know, that's the sound I'm, I think when I see a knife moving, it's, yeah, Jen, 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 you know, uh, and then the, yes, strings, oh man, great stuff, great stuff. What about some of the, some of the later movies that came around in like the 70s and uh, the 80s? We were talking earlier, and I don't know if we were recording, and we were talking about Clute, mm-hmm. um, you know, for one from the seventies, uh, the Long Goodbye, yeah, and of course Chinatown, Chinatown, yeah, yeah. definitely that. But also, what about like uh, uh, the Getaway? Mm, the, the the good one. <laughs> <laughs> you had to get that in, yes, didn't you? I gotta slide that in. Yes, the good one. Yes, with, uh, Steve, with McQueen Steve McQueen and, and uh, Ali McGraw. Ali McGraw, yeah. mm, directed by Sam Peckinpah. Yeah. Yeah. Um, would you consider that to be noir? Or is that just more crime fiction? To me, that's probably more crime fiction. Okay. And the same thing with um, Bring Me the Head of Alfredo Garcia, also mm. by Peck and Paw. Mm. But that almost, almost qualifies as a noir. Okay. You have this desperate man who goes on this quest to bring the head of Alfredo Garcia because there's a reward involved. Mm. And along the way, he meets these other desperate people trying to kill him. His girlfriend is a prostitute, mm-hmm. and they're trying to mend their relationship. So it has the ingredients of a noir in there without it being, you know, with all, all the shadows and accoutrements that you would normally find in a noir. Mm-hmm. But I would actually say that Alfredo Garcia is much more of a noir than the getaway. Than the getaway. Yeah. yeah. And I guess that's how the crossover can, you know, that can be confused because it usually involves, you know, cops and detectives and criminals and whatnot. So... You know, Heat is not a noir. It's really more of a crime fiction. Mm, but, 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 oh, that's a tough one, though. Well, because the reason why I would say it isn't is because okay. those characters are professionals. Mm, and they're well-paid okay. professionals. They're not desperate. Mm-hmm. They're not, and there's no one in the movie who's forced into a situation. They're all just kind of these seedy underworld characters, but they're well-paid. Gotcha. And they're smart. Yeah. You know, whereas, you know, usually in noirs, Somebody's kind of dumb, you know what I mean? You, you know, you got like a lot of schlubs and and you know, kind of like you know, uh, gun thug, you know, thug number three, thug number four. Yeah, and and they're, um, and they're being used by someone who's a bit more craftier, right? Until right. they figure out they're being used if they do, if they ever do. And yeah. then also too, like, uh, and this is a kind of another thing in noirs as it relates to de- uh, private investigators or detectives. Like Humphrey Borgart got his ass beat a lot. Oh yeah, you got. You know to. what I mean? It's like, <laughs> yeah, 
how many ass whoopings you gonna take before you know? But again, it makes it relatable. He's not he's not an action guy. He's not John Wayne right. cleaning house. Right. You know, it's Humphrey Bogart, the everyman. Right. You know, right. He's gonna take some knocks to get to the bottom of yeah. you know, his his you know, his investigation. So um what about um in the like in the eighties and nineties, you know, you, you get some mm. that are still holding the torch. Mm. Um you've got uh body heat, which you said you'd never seen. You can stand there with me if you want, but you'll have to agree not to talk about the heat. I'm a married woman. Meaning what? Meaning I'm not looking for company. You should have said I'm a happily married woman. That's my business. What? How happy I am. And how happy is that? You're not too smart, are you? <laughs> I like that in a man. What else do you like? I've lady? never seen. The only part I've seen is in what, and I was like, man, I can see my wife maybe liking it. Mm -hmm. The part where, uh, wasn't it John Hurt? John Hurt? and um, uh, No, it's... Uh, who, who is it? Um, uh, it's Kathleen Turner, but who's the guy? Uh, I forget who the guy is. It's Thunderbolt Ross. Jeff Britt? No. No. Thunderbolt Ross in the, in the Marvel movies. That's what I'm trying to remember. It's Kathleen Turner and is it John Hurt? That's what I was thinking. Are you sure it's not John Hurt? Maybe it's John Hurt. It's, let's say it's John Hurt. Okay, yeah. All right. So let's say it's John Hurt and, you know, Kathleen Turner's just... Oh, Kathleen Turner's so hot. Smoke, oh, you kidding me? Smoke show, dog. Oh, dude. Smoke show. That Fuck. voice. Oh, that husky voice. Oh. oh, shit. Anyway, we get off track. Every time she she, she does a, a line reading, it's like she smoked a pack of cigarettes yes. before she did it. Yes. Oh. <laughs> so anyway, she's in the house, and she's backing away from the screen door, and John Hurt is having to knock down the door. He's tearing the door apart yeah. to get to her. Yeah. You know? He throws a chair through the window. Yes. Climbs and in. And gets in. It's like, I gotta have you. Yeah. Got to. Yeah. And you know he sprung, he wide open. Yep. So I haven't seen the rest of the movie, but I know basically, since he wide open, she could probably get him to do whatever she wants, yep. and I'm sure trouble ensues. Yes, absolutely. <laughs> it's it's a it's an absolute noir. It's an absolute like average guy with a regular job who gets drawn in mm -hmm. by this woman, talked into killing her husband. They do it. And then she sets him up as the fall guy, and then you find out, you know, all kinds of other things, you know, you know, as the movie goes on. Yeah. And he has this uh, group of friends, uh, one of whom is uh, Ted Danson, a okay. young Ted Danson, and the other one is uh, this black actor. I forget his name. He's a wonderful char character actor. Mm. He's been on like Good Times and stuff like that. Uh, He's kind of got freckles or he's got like some uh, moles on his face. Mm -hmm. Pork shop sideburns, husky voice. Anyway, you would know if I pulled yeah. ahead my phone, I could show you a picture of him. You'd know him immediately. Mm. But he's in it and his friends are telling him. And there's always, you know, again, for the ordinary person who's being drawn into the the dangerous, you know, criminal underworld or whatever, into the dirty dealings. There's, it's always good to have that voice of reason saying, don't do it, man. Oh, of course. Don't the, do it. The angel on his shoulder. She's, she's, she's no good, man. Yeah. I, I know she's hot like fire. Yes. But don't do it, and you know he's going to do it. Right, of course. He has to. He has to. It's yeah. exorable. Yeah. He has to be. Yeah, yeah. But um, Basic Instinct. Uh, Blood Simple. Blood Simple. Yes. Um, Did you ever see Shattered? Shattered. Who was in that? Tom Berenger and uh, Greta Scotchy. 
See, that's the thing. Like, Tom Barrett has been in a couple of them that look very similar. <laughs> there was one called Sliver that he was in. Yep. yep. There was another one I was like, they all kind of run together, and they all start with the letter S. <laughs> you know what? Shoot the kill. <laughs> Go ahead. I, I have to admit, I am kind of a oh, halfway Tom Berenger fan. He can't. He was up. Uh, some, somebody to watch over me. Somebody watch That's over me. I'll start with an S. But, you know, like, you know, Major League and uh, uh, The Substitute. Oh, yeah. Wasn't he in the substitute? He sure was. Yeah, so yes. that's another one. That, you know, it's like, I would <laughs> ask. Up, <laughs> he found his, he found his, uh, his lane. He stayed in it. <laughs> but anyway, in that movie, he's like a guy who's in a car accident. He has his face reconstructed. Okay. And he's having memory loss. He's walking around with a cane and he, you know, and he comes to find out that it was like a whole plot and the changing of his face, all of it. It was like a whole plot. Kind of similar in a way to, you know, the idea of changing your face in dark past. Mm-hmm. You know, where, you know, you look like someone else, which that's not really how plastic surgery works. Right. Obviously, back in the 40s, they could really make you say, oh, plastic surgery, you can look totally different. No, you can't. Right. You're not going to look totally different. Yeah, you look different enough, but you're not going to look totally yeah, different. Yeah, old sawbones. They called them a sawbones for a reason. Right, yeah. exactly. <laughs> <laughs> no anesthesia. <laughs> <laughs> uh, Thief. Yes. You know, which is a great one. Yes. You know, great one. James Caan, mm-hmm. uh, Michael Mann's, is that his first? Yes, his first major uh, feature. feature film. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Uh, great movie. Mm. Um, and then you kind of get into the 90s. Uh, and I rewatched. So for this episode, I rewatched the strange. Oh, I watched the stranger. Yeah. I rewatched part of uh, Bound. Okay. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I rewatched uh, part of Kiss Kiss Bang Bang, and it still didn't stay stick with me like yeah. as it did in the first time. I was just like, uh. it's just too on the nose. It's, it's trying too hard, you know. <laughs> um, and I watched uh, Memento again. Mm, mm. So now we're getting into the '90s, and I rewatched The Grifters. The Have Grifters. you ever seen The Grifters? That's uh, John Cusack and Angelica Houston and Ed okay. Benning. Mm-hmm. A lot of great you know, 90s character actors. Kind of before they kind of really, where they were not even, they weren't even that guy and that girl. They were just, you know, they were just faces. And, and then now, and, and then later in the 90s, like, oh, they've been in everything. Oh, uh, yeah, okay. And they've reprised this role, you know, many times. Yeah. But, <laughs> but uh, Cusack plays a uh, the son of a con artist. His mother works for the mob. Mm-hmm. And she works the racetracks. And she had him when she was 14 and basically kind of left him to raise himself. And he kind of got into the con game, you know, short cons, not long cons. Mm. And he ended up taking a uh, mentor, an older guy who was a, a mentor. And he taught him the real, you know, how to do card tricks and how to do little swindles to get, you know, a couple hundred dollars here, a couple hundred dollars there. And um and Cusack meets or he's actually dating Annette Benning. Okay. And then Annette Benning, of course, is up to no good. And mm. uh, but Angelica Houston is, forgive the expression, milfy hot in the movie. Mm. She is smoking hot in the movie. Um, and she's kind of like again, she works for the mob. Uh, she's tough, but you know she's she's greedy. And and there's a whole kind of an, an Oedipal. Mm. Uh, connection between her and Cusack. Mm-hmm. It's not a great film. Yeah, Stephen Frears directed it. Okay, it's not a great film. There are a couple of story beats. I was like, eh, but it's a good movie mm-hmm. uh, uh, as far as the genre is concerned. Um, and uh, we're checking out. But that was like 1990, 
you can kind of tell by like the opening shot of the movie you know john cusack's suit and he's got like the pleated pants and the you know the big loose shirt like we would wear in the 90s <laughs> He, he goes in a Bennigan's dog. Oh, Bennigan's. Whoa. Oh, shoot. He goes in a Bennigan's. So I was like, I know it's 1990 yeah. now. <laughs> and the haircuts are like, you know how we always say like 1990, you're going to have some holdovers from the 80s. Yeah. The haircuts are kind of post 80. Mm -hmm. They're not quite 90 yet, even though it's technically 1990. Probably shot in 89 anyway. Yeah. You know, and then released it a year later. But um, Miller's Crossing. Oh yeah, yes. You know, mm -hmm. Miller's Crossing, and um, well, let me ask you this: Would you consider L.A. Confidential a noir? No, it's crime fiction. Mm hmm. Uh, well, well, make 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 the argument. Okay, okay. You 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 do have kind of a bit of desperation. The characters are desperate. You have um, uh, you have um, uh, Dane DeVito. He's not desperately like, oh, I got to get this. But he's on the fringe. You know, he runs a tabloid. You have Russell Crowe, you know. The but... dirty cops are kind of the underworld part of it. Exactly. And yeah. they have to enter this underworld. Right. You right. know what I'm saying? Mm -hmm. And Guy Pierce, you know, he's he's upright, but he gets sucked into this. He gets sucked into that and underworld. And he changes himself. Exactly. He compromises himself in a, in a very d direct way. Mm -hmm. And he's not di he's different at the end of the movie as a, as a result of the compromise. Exactly, exactly. You know, and uh, Jack Vincennes, uh, Kevin Spacey's character. Right. You know, he regrets kind of having to, you know, do what he does. But it's like, this is it. I mean, this is the game. Yeah, yeah. He plays the game. Right. Yeah. So in some ways, I'd see what you're saying. In some, but yeah, I think you're right. In some ways, it really is because. And you talk about like I'm just as I'm listening to you and I'm thinking about the movie. There is n there are nothing but scumbags in that movie. Everybody is a scumbag to to one degree or another. That's the other thing about noirs, mm -hmm. scumbags. Yeah, scumbags. You're on the fringe. All scumbags. There's yeah. no angel. There's no very 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 not not very often. What am I trying to say? You know, very rarely. Thank you. Is there a redemptive character? They're yeah. all scumbags. Yeah. All of them. Yeah. 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 I, I, maybe you might be right. You might be right. I, I have always considered it crime fiction, but it was speaking, to, you know, stylistically speaking to something else. Mm. You know, it wasn't just a crime, a cops and robbers story set in the 50s. You know, it was about people and, you know, what, uh, you know, what Guy Pierce's character really wanted. I want to be. I want to be promoted. I want to be, I want to do better than my old man, you know, because that's what people always compare me to, you know, Jack Vincent, you know, I'm on the take. Yeah. You know, Jackie boy, you know, and, um, um, and even James Cromwell as the, uh, Lieutenant, you know, who's, yeah. you know, uh, you know, he mentioned, uh, Rolo Tomasi. <laughs> oh, shit. <laughs> Rolo Tomasi. <laughs> the one who always gets away with. It. Right. Uh, <laughs> but what about, did you ever see Lost Highway? Lost Highway. Is that a David Lynch film? It is. That's not like a David Lynch film, but yeah. I'm just guessing. Now, I'm going to say this. <laughs> it's a David Lynch film uh -huh. in every sense of the word. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> like, what the <laughs> fuck? <laughs> but it is a noir. Mm -hmm. And it is about desperate characters set in Los Angeles. Yeah. Uh, Bill Pullman's in it. Oh, okay. Um. And uh, um, 
not Roseanne Arquette, her sister, Patricia Arquette. Mm. She's in it. And she does some nude scenes. Oh, very, okay. Very hot. Her her body was fantastic. I mean, just immaculate. I, don't know, I believe you, dog. Yeah, I believe yeah, you. Yeah, yeah. And I, was, I was a big fan at the time. I was like, <laughs> woody woo. <laughs> but, uh, but it is a crazy David Lynch movie, but it is a noir. It is definitely okay. a, a noir. Didn't he do um, a couple others later that might be considered noirs? Um, what's the one? Um, Blue the Velvet? One- that, that might be a noir. I, I would almost call that a noir. Okay. Has, but there's another one with, um, there, there's there's two female leads. It's like the name of a road. Not Mulholland Drive. It's... Mulholland... F- is it Mulholland Falls? Is that what I'm thinking well, of? Mulholland Falls is with... Uh, Nick Nolte. Chaz Palminteri and Nick Nolte. Okay. It has to be Mulholland Drive. I think it's Mulholland Drive. It's Mulholland That's Drive. what it is. It's yeah, Mulholland yeah. Drive. And yeah. Laura Dern is in it. Maybe I haven't. I've never you, seen but, it. But but you know, you, I, I can see the the box. I can see right. the VHS box in yeah. my head. Yeah. 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 <laughs> okay. Yeah. Uh, uh, Devil in a Blue Dress. Of course. Fantastic. Carl directed, written and directed by Carl Franklin, adapted from the the novel by Walter Mosley, Denzel. Great noir. Sure. Great noir. And I was watching. Um, uh, some video of Franklin, and he was saying that as far as the noir goes, he was actually on Eddie, Eddie, Eddie Muller does a uh, film festival every year mm-hmm. uh, celebrating noir, and then they watch the movies on 35mm or whatever mm. in, in a big, you know, rich yeah. theater. And Carl Franklin was their guest, and they watched uh, One False Move, and then they watched... Uh, oh, I've always wanted to see that. Yeah. yeah. I, I, I never finished it. I started watching it years ago and just never finished it for some reason, but... Uh, and then they watched Devil in a Blue Dress, and uh, he said when they were making the movie, those CDs are about to fall behind you, I think. <laughs> Not those, though. This, the, yeah. Um, when they were making the movie, he didn't want to do uh, uh, specific lighting. He wanted naturalistic lighting mm. as much as possible to try to you know make it feel uh, like Los Angeles. And also, um, except for the blue dress, which is what they did color correct the dress right. to make the dress... Pop. More vibrant, yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, but yeah, Devil in a Blue Dress, great noir. Um, and then, like in the late nineties, going into two thousands, you get stuff like which you another one you hadn't seen, Out of Sight. Yeah, I haven't seen that. Never seen that. Sir, excuse me, sir. Can't are you go fucking in there. kidding me, security guard? What are you hey, stoned? Hey, take it easy. It's all right, Peggy. It's under control. You know something. I wasn't sure that you'd show up here, but I was very sure if you did, you'd throw this job in my face. Let me tell you something. Every single thing you've done with your life up until this point in the real world means nothing. Less than nothing. You're a bank robber. It's not a very marketable skill. We don't see a lot of old bank robbers walking around with a pension plan, now do we? I think you know this. That's why you're here. Today, I've offered you a lousy job with a lousy wage. You want something better? Why don't you show me you can change? Then I'll offer you something better, a lot better. But until then, my friend, you'll have to earn it. How, Dick, the way you earn it? Man, some rich broad owns a company, selling off a piece of time and divorcing her? Is this this Newt Rockney pull yourself up by the bootstraps bullshit? Back in prison, a guy like you in a place like that, you were ice cream for freaks. The goddamn dumpling. Maurice, 
and a dozen other guys would have bled you till you had nothing, until you were nothing. I saved your ass. So you'll pardon me if I don't want to sit on a fucking stool all day and say, sign in here, please, or hey, pal, you can't park here, all right, dick? I can't fucking do it, dick. My top, one of my top two favorite Soderbergh movies. Oh, wow. I, I go back and forth between The Limey and, oh, yeah, and Out yeah, of yeah. Sight. Out of Sight is a great, is great. Mm. Really great and really worth your time. Uh, Jennifer Lopez is probably her best performance to me. Mm-hmm. She doesn't have a lot of them. Yes. But it's her best performance. Clooney's great. Bing Rames is great. Don Cheadle is once again great, as he was great in uh, Devil. in Devil in a Blue Dress, his yeah. mouse. <laughs> He's great in that too. Uh, and dangerous. Like really like menacing and like like dangerous. Um. And then later in the 2000s, we get stuff like Kiss Kiss Bang Bang. Mm-hmm. Um, we get uh, Nightcrawler. There are certain good things about being alone. You have time to do the things you want to do, like study and plan, but you can't have dinners like this or be physical with a person, I mean, outside of flirtationship. Where are you going with this? I want that. With you. Like you want to keep your job and your health insurance. Look, just for starters, I don't need you to keep my fucking job. You're the news director on the vampire shift of the lowest rated station in Los Angeles. We have what could be considered an almost exclusive relationship. There are many other places I could go. I have to think that you are invested in this transaction. Uh, mm. Did you ever finish Nightcrawler? I'm still working <laughs> on it, but I tell you what, though, Jake Gyllenhaal in that, ah, it lives up to the title. He is very creepy. Slimy. <laughs> he is just like, just that. Uh, excuse me, sir. I I, I want to offer you this and this, 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 and just he finds himself in situations and somehow he gets into it. Yeah. And you're like, how did he manage to get a camera to do this? What? What are you doing? Like literally breaking into a murder scene and yeah. filming it. You know, and then like you know, there are points in the movie. If anyone's never seen it, Nightcrawler is about a guy. He's kind of like a nerdy. He's a nerdy grifter. Nerdy grifter, kind of a nameless guy who who he 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 thinks more of himself than he actually is, and he kind of stumbles into the world of uh, nighttime paparazzis who have police scanners mm-hmm. and they show up at accident sites and at shootings and at you know and at police you know crime scenes and take video and then sell it to the news stations. Yes, and he gets really good at it, and he really starts to break the bounds of I'm trying to document something and then sell the footage to. Like at one, he gets in that murder scene. He goes in the house and he moves like some stuff around on the refrigerator, you know, to yeah. make it kind of the narrative be a certain thing. And then he sells in and ah. Oh. And then in the movie, uh, Renee Russo plays like a uh, she's either a new, uh, news personality or yes. an on camera person. She's on camera. I, th- I think she's on camera. Yeah. But she may be a producer too. But anyway, she, he she's starts a producer. Work- That's what it is. She's a producer. He starts working with her and she's uh, playing a character who's kind of past her prime. Mm-hmm. And so she's kind of desperate. There's yeah. that word again. She's desperate to, you know, to break big stories and to have, you know, really exciting footage that gets eyeballs. And he starts to manipulate that. 
like in you know having a sexual relationship with her and mm. all of this kind of stuff. It's just really a slimy and oh and uh, Ahmad uh I mean uh I forgot the actor's name. Oh my goodness. Uh he was in um Rogue One. He's been in a bunch of stuff. He's in Venom. Middle Eastern actor. I, I know who you're talking about. Yeah, I, I forget his name. Me. He's in it too. And he kind of plays Hall's apprentice. Yeah. You know, <laughs> <That's great. laughs> like if you, you're apprentice scumbag. You know? <laughs> but but again, you go into this, you, you actually get a small education about this particular underworld, this mm. particular underclass of like these, these guys and women who go out and just at night and they find these scenes mm-hmm. and how do you navigate this world? Right. Oh, okay. I didn't even know this existed, even though the veil of we see it on the news. Somebody has to go. Somebody get has that. to go do it. Yeah. Yeah. yeah this you li- and you're literally finding out how the the sausage is made. Thank you. Yeah. And uh and it's pretty repulsive when you <laughs> as yeah. it is with real sausage. You know. Yeah. <laughs> um. Also in this movie, in that movie is uh Bill Paxton. I think that was his last film before he yes, passed away. Yes, it was. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it was his last film before he uh before he passed away. Um, as far as films go, I was going to ask you about uh, some of the noirs that blend other genres, specifically science fiction. Hmm. So, f- take follow me here and see see if, see what you think. Okay, okay all right. so you could kind of go back to the Invisible Man in 1933. I'll allow that. Yeah, I'll. Allow it's that. kind of noirish, mm-hmm. you know, with Claude Rains and I forget the uh, the actress in the movie with him. Yeah. Um that's kind of a noir and then it is kind of science fiction y when he that scene when he's unwrapping the bandages and, it's like, and there ain't nobody under there, there and he's and he's he laughing that maniacal <laughs> laugh and just cackling. That shit was that was scary, yo. Yeah. Um Then of course in the eighties you have Blade Runner. Mm, mm, mm-hmm. You know? Mm. Straight up noir. Dark City. Oh, how can I forget that? Dark City. Of course, was that ninety yes. three? That was actually 90, 95. 95. Yes. Dark City. Uh, Gattaca. Mm, okay. Okay. Did I you, I'll allow that. The did lighting. You, did you see Noir, uh, Gattaca? Yes. Okay. Murder mystery. Desperate guy. Uh, doesn't seem like it's gonna work out for him. Right. It kind of does. Yeah. And on on top of that, you know, there's a murder. For anyone who's never seen the movie, there's a murder mystery in there, and it's almost implied that. His character, I think his character's name was Vincent. Um, um, Ethan Hawke's character was Vincent. He murdered his boss or somebody because they found out who he was. Mm-hmm. They never, you know, clear that up in the film. But it was kind of like, okay, he's kind of a scumbag, you know. Um, but great movie. Him, Uma Thurman, Jude Law, a bunch of other character actors that you've seen in other things. Yeah. And it looked great. And it was one of those that, uh, those movies, it was like an Outer Limits episode. Where yeah. it was supposed to be futuristic, you know, these are people who are astronauts who are going to other planets and whatnot. But they never. But you never, you never see, see that. You never see like a modern spaceship. The look of the movie is very 1940s with the suits and the dresses, and, and, and the lighting is all implied. All implied. So it's kind of like an Outer Limits episode where they say, "This is the future. Just trust us. Right. It's the future." <laughs> <laughs> but Gattaca is great, and um, the last one was uh, Minority Report. Mm, mm, yeah. Okay. You know what I mean? Which 
That's it, a very glossy, very dress. very slick. Yeah, you know? it's, like, it's like it's like that bad boy shiny suit, glossy. You know, it's Spielberg. It's <laughs> who's hot? Who's not? <laughs> who brought the moon drop? <laughs> I don't know what. Nobody we come across. No problem we see. <laughs> but um, yeah, but yeah, definitely that. Um, and I always have I'm challenged when they cast Tom Cruise to play like an everyman. <laughs> I mean, the guy is a charisma machine. Right. I mean, he's just a tractor beam for your eyeballs. Right. It's like, what? <laughs> he's no everyman. I mean, you know, so, but they always, you know, he's supposed to be this guy and his son is killed and mm-hmm. uh, he's, you know, he's good at his job or whatever, but, you know. But you know, later in the movie, it really starts to take those noir elements, like the one where the paranoia and the yeah, yeah, and, and how he has to go to someone else to change out his retinas, mm-hmm. his eyes, so he's blind. Mm-hmm. Hints of dark passage without the POV. Exactly, exactly. Yeah. You're right. You're right. Yeah. So I didn't even like, think about that. You're right. Mm-hmm. In the for anyone listening in the movie, I'm sure people have seen it, but uh, Tom Tom Cruise is in a futuristic society where when you walk in a building. Your retina scans, and then they know hey, who you are, and everything about you, and everything about you, and then like literally, you're walking around, and there's you know like little advertisements will pop up in the air and try to sell you things. Dang, you that's, know, that sounds like today. Today, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and in, in the movie, he has to literally have an underground like surgeon replace his retinas so that he can't be read mm-hmm. when he goes in public places, and he can continue. To uh, try, try to and and he's trying to, he's wrongly accused or That's right. rightly accused if you if you kind of think about it because I mean yeah he did do it yeah he did do it <laughs> <laughs> but he's trying to get his good name back yeah he's trying to get his good name back and and kind of solve the mystery so um but yeah that's just the idea and I guess you know like you were talking about that western where it was a noir but it was a western you know? yeah yeah I shot Jesse James yeah. yeah. And another one too that I won't leave out is uh, it very obviously so is uh, the Big Lebowski. Yeah, you okay, know, yeah. it's you know, it's basically Philip Marlowe in a robe <laughs> <laughs> and who's high all the time. <laughs> so, um, two quick questions and then we we can wrap it up. One, all right, the forties and the fifties are considered the classic mm. period. Mm-hmm. So, the question would be: Is noir a genre? Or is it an era? In other words, is everything after the 1950s, should that stuff really be considered neo-noir or tech-noir or some other kind of hyphenate, but not strictly film noir? Uh, I agree with the former. Um, I think it is an era, you know, Mm -hmm. because you do have, you know, stuff that comes after it to have that has elements, but most often the element that people are referring to is the pervading darkness. Right. You know, such as you were just mentioning tech noir as it relates to Terminator. Mm-hmm. You know, when you think about Terminator, it's darkness. That first Terminator mm-hmm. is darkness, 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 darkness. Uh, set against, you know, obviously technology returning to <laughs> wreak havoc upon humanity. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? So tech noir, right. you know. But I think noir is an era of film, film noir. Most often, people are going to think of those 40s and early 50s films. Mm-hmm. You know what I'm saying? Um, because after that, filmmakers are familiar with the 
elements of noir and just find ways to put it into other things that they want to do. Okay. You know? Okay. Okay. Yeah, I think you're probably right. Um, again, because, and, and again, it's like, um, when they were talking about, uh, remaking, uh, Akira mm, mm-hmm. and, uh, and I remember our friend John Sway was mentioning that, you know, part of what makes Akira work is, is it was post World War II Japan. You, you have to have the trauma of Hiroshima. That's right. In order to get to Akira. In order to get to Neo Tokyo, mm-hmm. without that historical, you know, piece of it, it's, it's not you don't get the same. It's not the same story, right? And so similarly, you know, the idea of German expressionism and post World War II, and then, um, you know, the banning of the films, and then you know, uh, the Great Depression in I was America. About to say, yeah, you know, mm-hmm. and that, how that has an effect on things. And then the boom of, of, of go, you know, the quote golden age of Hollywood, you know, in the 40s and the 50s and going, maybe going into the 60s, but certainly the 40s and the 50s, all of that kind of combined together. And then later you get, obviously in the late 70s and the 80s, you get, or the mid 70s and the 80s, you get new Hollywood. Yeah. You know, so without the historical perspective, now it really becomes people, it's like somebody today in, in 2022 saying that they're punk rock. You're not punk rock. Right, you're, no, no. Punk rock was a, was a reaction to something else. Mm-hmm. You're not punk rock. Mm-hmm. You're doing, you know, you're affecting it or it's an affectation, but yeah. it's not really punk rock. Punk rock happened at a particular time for a particular reason. And uh, now it just becomes like a costume you're putting on or something you're trying to do. Yeah, and and, it, and it's just like how you mentioned before, you know, stuff like tech noir or neo noir. Mm-hmm. You do have um, Afro punk. You have other whatever genre you want to acclaim to that prefix or suffix of punk. Mm-hmm. You know, that's how it is with noir as well. Whether that prefix is neo noir mm-hmm. or tech noir or whatever like that. Mm-hmm. You know, the era that proliferates that particular genre. It's almost stands on its own. Right. And everything after that is just looking back to it and taking the elements that they want to use for their own purposes. Do you think, this is just something I thought about, but do you think that the further away you get from those historical connections to certain genres, mm-hmm. the more we kind of lose what they are? For instance, there was a reason why Westerns were so popular at the turn of the century and in the early part of the, of, uh, the, 20th, the, ni- the 19th century. Uh, no, the 20th century. Yes. 20th, 20th century. century. Uh, because of, you know, we were only about 100 years away from, yeah. you know, settling the West. From the frontier. and The yeah. frontier and all of that. You know what I'm saying? But as we get further away from it, like now if someone makes a Western now, it's like, uh, like if someone does an imitation of Jack Nicholson or someone does an imitation <laughs> of Denzel or someone does an imitation of um, whomever. Mm-hmm. A lot of times you're not doing an imitation of Denzel. You're doing an imitation of Denzel in Training Day, mm. or you're doing an imitation of Jack Nicholson as the Joker, or in uh, A Few Good Men. You're not really doing them. And so now, if you do a western, are you really doing a western? Or are you really just making a Peck and Paul movie? Are you really just making a, a, a John uh, <clears throat> John Ford a John Ford movie or Sergio Leone movie? You know what I mean? No, no, that's part of the gripe. Gripe sounds bad, but it is a gripe to me. Uh-huh. Yes, it is that it is that type of thing where when someone says, "I'm going to do a mystery movie," oh really? 
And then you... <laughs> and it's all De Palma, and it's yeah. all Alfred Hitchcock, and, and, and it's and, all... And you watch the featurette, <laughs> and, they, and that's, who they're, that's who they're, you know, claiming as their influences. Yeah, I watched... Uh, a bunch of Brian De Palma. Okay, you watched a bunch of Brian De Palma? That's great, but where is you in all of this? Right. Because De Palma, he did, He looked at Hitchcock for sure, but then Hitchcock, he didn't have anybody to look at. He right. just had to come up with it. He was the innovator. Yeah. Exactly. He was the, early, he was the, the innovator. Maybe De Palma was... He was not, the, not I, an early adapter. He was maybe like a middle, like a middle adapter. Yes, <laughs> he certainly he certainly built his house on it. Oh you know, yeah, sure. oh yeah, exactly. And and like you were saying, in terms of adding his own flavor to it, mm-hmm. he added in the luridness and the mm. and the and the, uh, the seediness and the eroticism, right? And, and which, which yeah. was always just kind of surface for Hitchcock, you know, icy blonde, you know, mm. but never like. Ugh. Right, you know, prostitutes and call girls and lingerie and women being stabbed and choked while they're naked and, you know, body doubles, another one we didn't oh, mention. Oh, yes, uh, yeah. And, and department in general, I mean, come on. <laughs> Blow out? Yeah. Man, just, oh, man. All, all the way down yeah. the line, all the way down the line. Yeah, but so. but see, that's the thing. that The elements you named, that's the Palmas. You know what I'm saying? As far as, like, the el- that's him. A lot of filmmakers, I shouldn't say a lot, but there are many younger filmmakers today when they do a genre movie, they look at who are the progenitors of that genre and they just take from them as opposed to like bringing, well, what do you bring to this? And in the case of noir, I think that's why noir is kind of elastic in that way Mm -hmm. in that, yes, you can bring the shadows to it. You can bring the desperate characters and everything, but you also place noir in these different, you know, situations too. Mm-hmm. You know what I'm saying, and it and it and it could fit. Mm-hmm. You know what I'm saying. Mm-hmm. It may not be gum shoes and all of this and that, but we all know what it's like to be, you know, desperate. And some of us are driven to desperation and act upon it. Mm-hmm. You know what I'm saying. So what's what's that? Uh, 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 Chairman Junior said, you know, when when poverty comes in the front door, morality goes out the back. Bingo. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> and that's the truth. Yes, sir. Uh, let's put together like a quick top five recommendation for mm. anybody who is not a fan of noir or or doesn't know it as a genre and says, okay, I want to I want to dig deep and, and 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 do it. Let's include two from you know more of the classic era. Okay. And then you know maybe one in the middle era and then, you know and then something from you know at least one from modern day. Yes, two sir. from the classic era and at least one from modern day. All right. Uh, what what would you start with as far as the classic era? Hmm. The Third Man. The, the Over third. Touch of Evil? Yes. Okay. The Third Man. I Touch of Evil is is great, but man, I've watched The Third Man so many times. Okay. Like gosh, that's 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 a that's a perfect noir. Everything is there. The shadows, the lighting, um the acting, you know, Wells at his peak. You know, mm-hmm. and it's that it's that oh, lady from Shanghai. That's the other one That's I meant to mention. Trying to think about, yeah, yeah, okay, yeah. damn it, the other Wells film. Yes, okay. the other Wells film. I'm sorry, guys. Okay, but um, yeah, and it's that Wells where he started to get chubby, but not quite. <laughs> he started Look, to. <laughs> when I was watching The Strange, I was like, damn, Orson Welles was to... a good looking motherfucker. Yeah, yo, yo he was that, with that mustache. Did he have a rug? Uh no, not then. It wasn't. That was later in life. Okay, but but you know, wavy hair, the wavy curly hair. I was like, yeah, Yeah, the curly mustache. I was like, okay, guys, just kind of yeah, good looking looking guy, darling. 
And it, oh man, that speech he gave, that dinner speech he gave mm-hmm. uh, with uh, when he was talking about the Nazis and the yes. German, and the German likes to do this. Whoo, chilling. Well, we shall consider it the objective opinion of an objective historian. Historian? A psychiatrist could explain it better. The German sees himself as the innocent victim of world envy and hatred conspired against, set upon by inferior peoples, inferior nations. He cannot admit to error, much less to wrongdoing, not the German. We chose to ignore Ethiopia and Spain, but we learned from our casualty list the price of looking the other way. Men of truth everywhere have come to know for whom the bell tolled, but not the German. He still follows his warrior gods, Marching to Wagnerian strains, his eyes still fixed upon the fiery sword of Siegfried. And in those subterranean meeting places that you don't believe in, the German's dream world comes alive and he takes his place in shining armor beneath the banners of the Teutonic Knights. Mankind is waiting for the Messiah, but for the German, the Messiah is not the Prince of Peace. He's another Barbarossa, another Hitler. Oh man, shilling! You'd also like um, he does a similar speech, not similar as that, but a similar monologue in um, the Third Man as well. Okay, you know, uh, as as Harry Lime. Harry Lime. Harry Lime. <laughs> <laughs> That's a great weird movie name, Harry Lime. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> but yeah, the, the Third Man that would be my my, my okay, top. Okay, so Third Man. What, yeah. what would be number two? Hmm. Number two. No, no Citizen Kane. Oh no no! I wasn't gonna yeah, put no that in there. That's not. That's technically not a norm. <laughs> that's, that's, yeah, yeah yeah. That's that's totally yeah. different. Hmm. Number two, I would probably go with the, with the one of the Bogart movies, man, like a uh, Maltese Falcon or a Big Sleep. You know, okay. that's what people go to as far as like when you say noir, mm-hmm. they flash back to Bogie. Mm-hmm. You know what I'm saying? In the slouch hat, the fedora. Yep. Yeah. We had it all. We had it all, <laughs> just like Bogey and Bacall. <laughs> and, and, and and it's gotta be it's gotta be one of the bogeys, yes, with Bogart and Bacall. Mm-hmm. Like for whatever reason, they went together like like Mike and Pip. <laughs> <laughs> Just me and my boy. <laughs> Look, they go together like a 40-year-old and a 20-year-old. Yeah. 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 <laughs> okay, so we got we got uh the third man. Yeah. And we got you, you want to do Maltese Falcon or you want to yeah. do the big Okay, Maltese well, Falcon. Well, hold on, hold on. I, I did say a Bogart and Bacall. So whatever. Whichever one you want to do that has a Bogart and Bacall in it. That, that's that uh, The Big Sleep, right? It is The Big Sleep. Thank yeah, you. Yeah. That's the one. I, I think I rewatched that one mm-hmm. when we were doing L.A. Crime movies. You did. Yeah. That's right. Yeah. So we got that. Okay, so something from the middle era. Hmm. Like 70s, 80s. Chinatown. China, yeah. Chinatown. That's, that's, Chinatown. Yeah. Yeah, I would say Body Heat, but since you haven't seen it, I would have I would have to really make the argument for it. Yeah, because it's uh, it's really like like William Hurt. William Hurt. William okay, Hurt. There we Not go. John yes. Hurt. It's William Hurt. William Hurt boy. <laughs> <laughs> You're in for a world of hurt. Uh, <laughs> yeah, William Hurt is really like in over his head. Yeah, and it's um and whenever we get to a point where we do out of time movies. <sighs> 
Uh, it's not quite an out of time movie, but don't but, spoil but, it. But the clock okay. is ticking for him. Okay. <laughs> the clock is ticking for him. Um, okay, so we'll do uh, Chinatown for sure. That was 70, 74. 74, yeah. Mm-hmm. We'll do Chinatown. Okay, for the later era, I'm going to say Memento. Mm, I'll allow that, yeah. I rewatched it, and it to me is the most credible and the most uh, provocative modern noir. Yeah. Because of. Again, like you're saying, you know, uh, Christopher Nolan, he infuses his own interests mm-hmm. in as far as time and memory and identity mm-hmm. and all of those things. And then he, the way he tells it, telling it backwards to forwards was just so ingenious. Like it, yeah. everything about him trying to do that should not have worked. Mm-hmm. It should not have worked. Even, and just to, sh- just to, to show you, and obviously, people who've seen, never seen the movie, the movie is told from the from the end, and then it goes back to the beginning. Yes, and it's done in sections where they overlap, where something will happen, and you get to a section of the scene, and then yeah, you get to the next out. sequence, yeah. and it starts from the place where the other one ended. Yeah, so that you know what preceded it. So the problem with it was, is I watched it over like two and a half days. Uh huh. And I, you know, and I pull it up on my phone. I'm on the treadmill, and it would, you know, it didn't remember that I watched it. So I had to find the place in the movie where I stopped. So you had your own memento. Uh, yeah, I'm like, <laughs> which is terribly difficult because so many yeah. of the scenes overlap. You know, nothing happens one time. So I'm like, is this the first time that he's laying in the bed with Carrie Ann Moss? Or is this the second time? Did he already make the speech where she's laying on his chest? Or did this happen before? Has he seen the prostitute yet? What the fuck? <laughs> and then somebody sold you a Polaroid. Look how happy you look. <laughs> exactly. You're at the point that your phone in a Polaroid, like, I found it. <laughs> so I tattooed the time on my leg. <laughs> Of where I stopped the last time. And my wife was like, what the fuck is 1418 mean? <laughs> oh my God. But also like the idea of the injury and the memory loss. Yeah. You know, as something that interested Nolan. Mm-hmm. And the idea that this character is, you know, is carrying around these pictures and he keeps forgetting. Yeah. It was just so inventive. And it was more like psychological noir. Mm-hmm. I mean, there was criminal elements to it, but it was more psychological. Yeah. Um, just a great film. But I think it's it's perfect and it's innovative in, in its approach. So I would make a pitch for that in terms of like a 90s era noir. I allow that. Yeah. Okay, so we got we got uh Third Man. Third Man. We've got the Maltese Falcon. No, the Big Sleep. The Big Sleep. We've got Chinatown. Yes. We've got Memento. We need one more. Hey, uh, can, uh, does it have to be from any particular era? Uh, it's just something from 90 on, let's say. Something from the last 30 years. Hmm. I really like Gattaca, but I think I just like it. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, but as far as like a like a, like a straight... What about like Blood Simple or Miller's Crossing? Yeah. One, one of Cohen's Brothers movies. And in fact, there's a lot of their movies, a good deal anyways, that is very much noir. Mm-hmm. Like, in a way, No Country for Old Men, yes. despite its setting, it's a noir. Some elements. It kind of is. It kind of is. It gets mentioned. 
Yeah. It gets mentioned. Yeah. It's it's definitely in the conversation. Yeah. Um and uh and like you said, obviously you like with the, the big Lebowski and whatnot, they're interested in that as an idea, you know, those ideas. Uh but Blood Simple is definitely Oh yeah. You know, down to the cheating girlfriend mm-hmm. wife character and the and, the, and the, the, the my boss of uh I forgot the actor's name. Dan Hedaya. Dan Hedaya, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, and a, and a desperate and a desperate man who's wide open. He got he got this honey now, and she like, what are we gonna do? I'm doing uh, whatever you gonna do. Exactly. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. You gotta have it. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. But uh, okay, so third man. Yeah. Big sleep. Mm-hmm. Chinatown, Chinatown. Memento. And blood simple. And blood simple. There we go. All right, that's your starter kit. Yeah. There you go. Yeah. <laughs> That concludes this episode of Sidebar Forever, hosted by Dwight Clark, Swain Hunt, and Adrian Johnson. You can find us online at sidebarforever.com. Any emails or questions can be directed to us at sidebarforever at gmail.com. And also, subscribe to us on social media. You can find us on Facebook, Twitter, YouTube, and Instagram.